And that's what love is. The purpose of love is to receive what God has for us and then let it flow out of us to other people. We're going to talk today about this concept of love. We are beginning an Advent series. Uh, you may have heard that if you've been in the church history or church before, not just Journey Church, but the church as a whole. This idea at the Christmas time of what is called Advent. What is Advent? Well, Advent comes from the Latin term Adventus, which means arrival or coming, particularly the coming of something having great importance. Really, what Advent is, is a time of reflecting upon and remembering what Jesus did for us. It's a time of remembering, celebrating God's love, which is the foundation, and then it subsequently changes my heart into one filled with joy, peace, and hope. That's what God brings to humanity, is his love that changes us from the inside out. And so today, we're starting the first of four weeks where we will be talking about love. Then we're going to talk about joy, peace, and hope. Joy, peace, and hope coming out of the love that God has for us in this world. Love is a difficult concept to understand. It's very misunderstood in our, in, our, um, in our society and in our culture. People think of love, as the video said, on the same level of I love my mom or I love pizza or I love my wife and I love the Denver Broncos. Those kind of things, they don't really equate to the same level, but they are both using the word love. God's love for us is something that is amazing. It's almost impossible to speak about because I don't know at times that I fully understand understand it. It's not an emotion. It's a realization, a decision that we make to receive the love that God has for us. Well, today we're going to get into this. Let's pray as we do and ask for God to bless this time as we always do. Father God, this is your time and we want to hear from you. I know, Lord, that I am completely inadequate and incapable of speaking about your love. So Lord, help me to do so on your behalf. I want you to receive the praise, you to receive the glory that you are due. You are a God who loves us. You are the Almighty, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. And we bow our hearts and minds before you now as we open your word and as we learn about the great love that you have for this world. Lord, sometimes we come to you with faulty expectations, thinking that you need to do something or you, our life needs to work out a certain way. And that's not accurate. Lord, we come to you because you first loved us. You've poured out your love. We may not get everything we want, our lives may not always be perfect. We may have hardships and trials, yet your love is what gets us through. Your love ultimately will bring us to you for all eternity. And that's what we can look forward to. Thank you for loving us with an agape love, an unconditional flowing love that you have. Lord, teach us now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the love of God is, I, I would describe it in this manner. It is like Niagara Falls. If you go to Niagara Falls and you're able to sit underneath the flowing waters of Niagara Falls, you, and if you took an umbrella and you put it up above you, that umbrella would not have the ability to stop the flow of water that would be coming down upon you. It would be overwhelming. The love of God is like that. It's an overwhelming, unstoppable force coming toward us. Whether you will receive it or not, that is completely up to you. 
But it is a flowing love that pours down on humanity, on all of mankind. Love is the basis of everything in Christianity. It's the basis of what it means to follow him. It's all predicated on the love that God has. That's why we start with love as the first part of the Advent series. We have to understand God's deep, his one-sided, his flowing love toward us. To really be able to live out life. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this. We love, why? Because he first loved us. It doesn't start with our love. It starts with God's love. Change happens because of God's love. God's love touches our hearts, and then it starts to flow out of our lives. It says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. The Messiah died for us when we were weak. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. What does that mean? It means you're going to find very few people that would actually give up their lives for somebody who's actually deserving of, you, uh, of them uh, giving up their lives. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While our lives were a mess, undeserving, unearning, our lives were chaos, our lives were a train wreck. Yet at that time, Jesus still chose to die for us, it would be like finding somebody in prison on death row who you know their life is a mess. You know they've done terrible things in their life, and you, having compassion, would go and say, you know what? They deserve the electric chair. I'm going to take it for them. That's what it would be like. Jesus died for us. Why? Well, he says it this way, because of his love for us. It all starts with his love. God loves humanity. He loves his creation. He loves mankind so much so that he wants to give us an option. He wants to give us a way. In John chapter 3, it says in verses 16 through 18, For God so loved the world, and this is why we celebrate Christmas, he so loved the world that he gave a gift. What was that gift? It was his one and only son. Why did he give his son? So that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world. If you are feeling condemnation, that's not of God. Because Jesus did not come to condemn you. To condemn you is to pronounce sentence. It is to pronounce judgment upon you. To say you're going to hell. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus came. It's because of God's love. Because he so loves the world, he gave his son to make a way. The one who believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe has been condemned already because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only son of God, the Ben Elohim in Hebrew. I was thinking about this message, thinking about starting with talking about love, the beginning of Advent for us. This is the foundation. This is the basis of everything. But what can I possibly say about love? Can I really even understand it myself? It's not an emotion. That emotions can be a part of it, but it's not an emotion. It's a flowing thing that God gives to us that we have 
to receive. And when we receive that, it changes who we are from the inside. Can I possibly describe this? And I began to think, what is the best analogy? What is the most accurate analogy that we can possibly come up with to understand the love of God? And what I thought of was really apparent. Now, when I say apparent, not meaning like it's obvious. I mean a parent. If you are a parent, if you have children, you'll be able to identify with this. Because it is a father's or mother's love that we can best understand the way God looks at the world. If you're a parent, you have that kind of love for your children most of the time, perhaps. Sometimes your kids can be rebellious. Sometimes they can... You just kind of can want to strangle them from time to time, if you know what, I, what I'm saying. Sometimes your, your kids are difficult, but your heart is always for them. And you always love them, even when they're acting unbecomingly, when they're rebellious, when they're disobedient. You still, deep down, have a love for your children. I thought taking it one step further, and there's no greater picture of love than that of adoption, an adoptive love. Adoptive love is absolutely amazing. And so what I thought of uh, during this week is I thought, I'm going to read stories about adoption. And I read multiple stories, and I want to share just a couple of those stories with you. There are over, and I think these estimates are low, but there are over 100,000 children today in the U.S. foster care system. About 20,000 of those will never get adopted. There is a need for adoption. Older children and those with disabilities will face a time of probably never getting accepted into an adoptive home. I was reading these stories of adoption, and it just helped click for me the love of God toward us. Let me share some of these things with you. One of the stories I read was about little CJ. Now, CJ was eight years old. He was a redheaded little boy with severe behavioral issues. In his home that he was growing up in, he was traumatized by abuse and very violent abuse that happened toward him. Not only was he traumatized by the severe abuse and had severe behavioral issues, but he was also autistic. And that probably led to some of the abuse that happened with him because of him being different, being cognitively challenged in that way. He was in the foster care system, and he floated from foster home to foster home. At eight years old, he was labeled in the foster system as unadoptable. Meaning, no one is going to be able to take on this child. He has so many issues. One particular family saw his story, heard of his story, and said, I hate that label of being unadoptable. We will, even though it's going to be a challenge, we will take him into our home. This family adopted little CJ, and it was a battle, it was a struggle. It was hard to get through to him, to communicate with him, to get him through these behavioral issues. But six years later, he is a well-adjusted, happy young little boy with a thriving social life in school, in the school band, being able to participate in school activities, even wanting to run cross-country next year. He feels love, love that he had never felt before because he was adopted and accepted into this family. The love that he had craved, the love that he had desired, finally came to him, somebody who was, quote, unadoptable. 
read another little story about a girl by the name of Rochelle. Rochelle was 15. She had been in the foster care system since she was about three years old. Highly traumatized through, through all kinds of severe abuse that happened in her home. She also had severe behavioral issues. On top of that, she was also born deaf. She was extremely neglected in every foster home that she'd ever gone into, even as bad as in the last few foster homes that lacked basic hygiene. They, she was just basically a nuisance being there. I don't know why they was, she was in those homes, maybe just to collect the money that would happen from her being there. Hadn't had a bath, hadn't had basic hygiene, didn't have anything to her name. And a family heard of her story. And said, there is no such thing as somebody who's too far gone. And we will take Rochelle, even though she's functioning on a first grade level at the age of 15, even though she's deaf and doesn't know any sign language, even though she is lacking basic hygiene skills, we will still take her. And they took her into the home. And after three years of being in the home, able to communicate, learning, learning numerous words in sign language, and finally opening up her heart to a love that she had never known before. Then there was the story of Macy. Macy was one who had been in the foster care system since, basically since the age of nine. Her father died when she was two from addiction. Her mother would die at age 11, her, when, when Macy was 11, from also having addictive issues. She had a severe drug problem, her mother did, so much so that... This little girl had barely made it to school because her mom could not get up to get her ready for school, couldn't feed her breakfast, get her dressed. She basically had to fend for herself. Her mother would finally be arrested because of her drug issues. Macy would be put into the foster care system as soon as her mother was arrested. Her mother got out of, out of prison to go into a halfway house only to die a couple of weeks later from a drug overdose as she was in the halfway house. At that point, Macy's already traumatic life began to spiral downward and more and more out of control. Bouncing through the system, she finally was in a, a place where she had, um, basically it was a strict group home where she was provided the basic issues or basic things of life such as food, a bed, shelter, and medical care. She had given up on her chances of ever being adopted when she was 17 and a half. She had longed to be adopted. She wanted to be a part of a family, but she had never known love, experienced love. One staff member at the high school that she attended saw a video that Macy had made where Macy was really begging for love in that video. It broke her heart. She went home and told her husband, we have to adopt this girl even though she's about to age out of the system. They did adopt her, took her into the home, and now Macy felt welcomed and loved for the very first time in her life. And it changed her life, turned her life upside down. She would stay with the family for the next three or four years as she was going through college. And that family, because they took her in, she experienced what she had always craved. That's what a parent's love looks like. It looks like taking people who are, quote, unadoptable, taking people who are a mess, people who have, have had trauma, drug abuse, issues in life, and saying, I will welcome you in to my family. That's what a father's love is. That's the love of God. 
I can't really describe what God's love is. What I can tell you is the attributes that happen as we receive God's love. And I want to share those with you as we go through this message today. Father's love, number one, first of all, to understand God's love, I have to understand, number one, the Father accepts me. Now, when I say the word me, I want you to put yourself in, that, in those shoes. That that's, that's you. God accepts you. God accepts me. What does that mean in reality? Have you ever felt out of place? Maybe thought like you didn't matter. Felt unlovable, felt rejectable. Maybe you've been abandoned in life. Maybe you've had a battle, a lifelong addiction to some kind of drug or alcohol or something else in life. Maybe today you find your life just absolutely a train wreck. You're a mess. Life is a mess. God is willing to meet you right where you're at. And he's willing to accept you right where you're at. Your life, again, may be a mess, but it's like those adopted children. They were a mess. They were in a tough situation. They had behavioral issues. They had trauma that had happened to them. They were severely underdeveloped. Yet those families said, we will take you right where you're at. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself presentable. You don't have to put on different clothes. I will take you, they would say, right where you're at. And that's the way God is with us. God sees the mess, he sees the trauma, he sees the pain, and he's willing to accept you right where you are. That's the first step of love, is the acceptance of God. I don't have to fix myself, I can come to God as I am. It says in the word of God, in 1 Peter, you are a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the mess that you were in, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. First step of me even understanding God's love is I have to understand the depths to which I have sunk. Do you know that for you? The depths to which you have sunk, the depths that you were in, the mess that was your life. And you look at where you were and you realize God rescued me out of that. I didn't have to fix myself in order to come to God. He came to me and met me right where I was. And when he met me and accepted me, it changed everything. First thing I need to know to be, understand God's love is that he accepts me. It says in Isaiah 43, 1, to the nation of Israel, by default, us as well. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, that's Israel. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Do you know that's how God looks at you? You're mine. You belong to me. And I am willing to accept you right where you're at. I love what Henry Ward Beecher said when he said these words, God pardons like a mother who kisses away the repentant tears of her child. It's a beautiful picture. Maybe you had a mom like that, that when you were sorry, they didn't shame you and criticize you and really rub dirt in the wound. They just kissed away your repentant tears and said, I fully love you. 
And that's what God's love is. God's love accepts me. The Father accepts me. The second thing about God's love that I want you to understand is when he has accepted me, that's when the adoption process takes place. That God then adopts me. He accepts me, says, come into our family. We want you in our family. Now you could say, no, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't care if you accept me. Or you can say, yes, I have been looking for a family all of my life. I need a family. Thank you that you're willing to adopt me. The Lord adopts us. There's something beautiful, again, about the idea of adoption. There are times that people have children, and they have children naturally. But that's not always wanted. You know what I mean? Sometimes there are parents who have children and think, oops, I didn't mean that to happen. I've known families where certain parents have shirked their responsibilities to say, I didn't want this. I don't, this is not my problem. I'm out of here. And they just basically run out on the family. Adoption is something different because adoption is, I want you and I am taking you in to my family. (laughs) If you remember being a kid, Playing games with other kids in the neighborhood, maybe getting together. I don't know if kids do this anymore because it's all electronic space now, but I remember as a kid, we would get together in the neighborhood, all of the kids, and we would play games. We'd play baseball, we'd play kickball in the street, we would do all kinds of fun things. When you would have a group of kids together, you'd have two of them, two of the kids that would be captains. And they would be choosing sides, they would be choosing up teams for sides in order to compete. You remember that time? You would get a group of kids together, the two captains, and the captains would start off and they would alternate. One captain would say, well, I pick, I, I pick Chuck. He's the best athlete I know. I'm picking Chuck. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> and another would say, well, okay, I pick Rhea because she's fantastic as an athlete. I'm sure that's the case for both of you. And they would alternate. They'd go back and forth until they got to the final ones. And then the final ones, they wouldn't say, well, I pick this person. They would say, "Uh, okay, two left. You You can have them. You can have them. That's not how God is. God is, I want you on my team. And I accept you. And I want to adopt you into my family. I have wanted you and I have chosen you. That's what adoption is. In Romans chapter 8, it says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim in Hebrew, these are sons of God, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into fear. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption. You have been adopted by God. By which we cry, Abba, Father. This is a beautiful picture Because when you have been adopted, God is almost like he's saying, you don't have to stand on formalities with me. You can call me Abba. Well, that's an amazing term. What is Abba? Abba is what that culture would refer to as Dada or Daddy. It is the first words that a child would learn to speak. Mama, Dada. It would be Abba in that culture. It would be an intimate term, a close term, a trusting term, and that's what Abba is. And so what does God say? You can have such closeness with me that you don't have to call me Father. You can call me Abba. It communicates a heart 
that is open and welcoming. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, we can approach his throne of grace with confidence. You know what that means? Picture a throne room, a kingly throne room, and your dad is sitting on that throne. He's the king, and you are a little kid, and you come running into the throne room. He's not going to say, guards, get rid of this kid. Guards, kick them out. No, you have access. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. So you come running in the throne room, and the father, the king, says, come here, son. Come here, daughter. And picks you up and puts, him on his, puts you on his lap and says, you can come to me anytime. You are always welcome because you have access. He has adopted you. you he is your Abba. The spirit himself, the Ruach himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we're also heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah. What is an heir? Well, an heir is somebody who gets the inheritance. When someone dies, the inheritance is split up. Well, I'm just an adopted child into this family. I don't care. You are equal in the inheritance that you receive from your family because you are fully a part of that family. Who died? Well, Jesus died. And when Jesus died, his inheritance, eternal life with the Father, was passed on to every child who has been adopted into the family of God. And so that's the love of God. That's the amazing love of God. The Father accepts me. The Father adopts me. Then the Father also affirms me. What does that mean? It means he blesses. Now, many people think the blessing is, well, my life just has to be perfect. And you have to give me all the money and all the health and all the wisdom. That's what the blessing is. No, that's not what blessing is. Blessing is God's affirmation for you. His stance toward you. What affirmation means is to state positively with conviction that God has value for you. Even in the midst of trials and circumstances and hard times, that God still sees you positively with value. There's a story that was told by Ruthless Manning in his book called, or I'm sorry, by Brennan Manning in his book called Ruthless Trust. Now, the story that Brennan Manning tells was when he was a student at the University of Pittsburgh. He was going through their, their seminary program at the school, and there was an old Dutchman who was teaching the class. He was the professor. This old Dutchman was telling a story from when he was a child about growing up in Holland. The professor told, or told the following story to the class. He said this. He said, um, he said, I was outside playing in the neighborhood. And one day I came inside the house. It was about lunchtime. I was thirsty, so I came in the kitchen. As I'm in the kitchen, there's a door that separated the kitchen from the dining area. The door was closed. And in the dining area, I heard my father, who had just come home for lunch, and he was sitting there with one of our neighbors. And they were having a conversation. And I wasn't meaning to eavesdrop. I was just hearing the conversation as I was getting a glass of water. And he said, I heard the following conversation. The neighbor said to my father these words. He said, Joe, there's something I've wanted to ask you for a long time. But if it's too personal, just forget I asked. Well, Joe, the father, said, well, okay, what's your question? And... This neighbor said, well, Joe, 
you have 13 children. Out of all of your children, is there one that is your favorite? Is there one that you love more than all of your other children? Now, the professor who was relating the story, who was the one standing in the kitchen as a little boy, said, I pressed my, do- my ear up against the door, and I was hoping against hope that he would say, that's my favorite. Well, my father, he said, went on to say this. He said, well, that's an interesting question. Who is my favorite? Who do I love the most? Well, that's easy, my father said. Sure, there's one that I love more than all the others. That's Mary, the 12-year-old. She just got braces on her teeth. She feels so awkward and embarrassed that she won't go out of the house anymore. Oh, wait a second. But you asked who my favorite is. Well, that is my 23-year-old Peter. His fiance just broke their engagement, and he is desolate. Oh, but the one I really love more than all of the others is little Michael. He's totally uncoordinated and terrible in every sport he tries to play. The other kids make fun of him. Oh, but of course, the apple of my eye is Susan. Only 24, living in her own apartment. She has developed a drinking problem. And I cry and I pray for Susan every day. But I guess of all of the kids, and the professor said my father went on mentioning all 13 of his children by name. That's what affirmation is. That God says, I accept you. I adopt you, and I love you, and my stance toward you is yes. Again, what I had read earlier, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. When God looks at you, You are the apple of his eye. So God accepts me. He adopts me. He affirms me. He also admonishes me. You ever thought of admonishment as love? Well, it is. If you adopt a child and bring them into your house... And you just say to them, I know you have behavioral issues. I know you've been traumatized. I know you are really uh, problematic here. Just do whatever you want to do. We're not going to get in the way. You just, you be you, you live your best life. That kind of statement. That's not loving. You know what loving is? Loving is, I love you too much to let you stay the way you are. And so I will correct you. And I will discipline you with the goal of making you Christ-like. That's what admonishment is. It's disciplining. There is no parent who loves their children who does not discipline their children. Discipline is love. It is correction. It is admonishment. It is helping shape them in the direction they need to go. It says in the word of God... In Hebrews 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son, every child whom he receives. So if you are not being disciplined by God, there's a good chance that you're not really his, that you have not been accepted by God, that you've not come to him, because the Lord brings discipline. He brings correction. Sometimes correction is easy. 
It's just a matter of the Holy Spirit speaking into your life. Why did you say that? That's not becoming of someone who's my child. Sometimes the discipline is a spanking that happens from the Lord in our lives. Sometimes it is hitting rock bottom. The discipline of the Lord is not because he hates us. It's because he loves us and he wants to shape us to make us more and more like him. So the Lord accepts me, adopts me, affirms me, admonishes, and then finally, what his love looks like is this, he will never abandon me. As I read all these stories about adoption, and they were really touching to my heart, one of the common themes that ran through all of those stories was this. Every child was convinced and afraid of when these new adoptive parents would finally reject them and send them back. Every one of them. And you know what they would do? They would push the limits to find out what is the breaking point that they will finally reject me because I know it's coming. When is the abandonment going to happen? Because I know it's coming. And they would push and push and push until the new adoptive parents, they thought, would say, get out of here, I can't handle you anymore. In every one of the cases that I read, that was never the case. The case was always, we will not abandon you no matter what. I know you're a mess, but we will not give up on you. Now, they would discipline them, but they would also affirm them. They also accepted them, and they never quit on them. Do you know that that's who God is to us? He is never going to take back that love. Now, we could walk away and say, I want nothing to do with you. But God's love is like that Niagara Falls picture. It's just constantly flowing. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, keep your lifestyle free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. That's the character issue. For God himself has said, I'm never going to leave you. And I'm never going to forsake you. God will not leave us and he will not abandon us. That's the love of God. Again, this is an indescribable thing that I'm just trying to give you the attributes of. He accepts me. He adopts me. He affirms me. He admonishes me. And he will not abandon me. I want to close with a story I think that illustrates this. It's a story that I've shared before. Some of you may have heard the story. Just bear with me as I share it again. Some of you have never heard this story. It's not mine. It comes from Larry Crabb. Now, Larry Crabb was a Christian psychologist and uh, author of many books, spoke at many different settings, and I was, I've been able to hear him speak a few different times. And Larry Crabb related a story, and the story was about a father, and the father had children raised in Minnesota, and he raised all the children the same way, he and his wife, and loved them all the same, but children have their own wills. They have their own decision-making process. One of the kids did not care for the way that they were raised. They were raised in a Christian home. They were raised with values and uh, morality and character. And one of the children got heavily involved in drugs through some friends that he had had, got into an argument with his dad. And in this argument with his dad, stormed out of the house in Minnesota, slammed the door behind him, and said, I hate you. I never want to see you again for the rest of my life. He left town. 
The parents really didn't know where he went. They would get a little bit of a, a glimpse, a little bit of a story. They would hear, hear things once in a while about where he might be, but they were never quite sure where the son went. Three years went by. The father prayed daily for his son, grieved over his son, missed his son greatly. Three years went by. The son got more and more heavily involved into more serious kinds of drugs and really hit rock bottom in his life. The father heard through a mutual friend that the son was living in Southern California. Through some investigative work, the father was able to track down actually where the son was staying, the house that he was staying in there in Southern California. The father decided, I need to see my son. I need to make sure at least he is still alive. So the father got on a plane in Minneapolis and he flew to L.A., rented a car and drove over to the house where he had heard that his son was saying. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning as he showed up at the house. The front door of the house was cracked open. And so as the father got onto the steps, he just kind of pushed the door and the door swung open. And as he looked in, he saw numbers of people who were all passed out in various stages of dress, some dressed, some undressed. And he looked and there were just people everywhere carefully walked through the house, made his way to a couch where he saw his son laying, passed out on the couch. He came over to his son, knelt down next to his son, put his hands on him, said, I love you. Please come home. And then he prayed for his son out loud. And then knowing that at least he was still alive, the father got up, got back into the rental car, drove back to the airport, got back on the plane, flew back to Minneapolis and drove back to their home. About 60 days later, all of a sudden, in Minnesota, there was a knock at the front door. Father went to the front door and he opened the door and who should he see standing there before his very eyes was his son. He threw his arms around him, embraced his son, kissed his son, brought his son into the house. They began to talk, and the son, through tears that were streaming from his eyes, said, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? It's not who I want to be anymore. As the story went on, and they began to talk more and more, the son said to his father these words. He said, about two months ago, you came to the house that I was staying in, in L.A., and you thought I was asleep as you knelt down next to me, but I wasn't asleep. And I heard every word that you spoke, and I heard the prayer that you prayed, and even though I was pretending to be asleep because I didn't want to see you, something changed in my heart that moment. I felt loved. I felt forgiven. I felt accepted. And I knew I needed to come home. But I wasn't ready that day to come home. I needed to give it a little bit of time to find out if I could actually be sober. Dad, I want you to know that I've been sober for 60 days. And I'm ready to come home. Would you please accept me? And the father, of course, did. And welcomed him back. It was a story of love. 
the love that was demonstrated is the same love that God has for us. In his love, his unconditional love, he accepts you where you're at. He wants to adopt you and bring you into his family if you're willing. He wants to affirm you and bless you and pour out his love to you. His word is a love letter given to you so that you could know that. He will admonish you because he's too loving to let you stay the way you are and me as well. And he will never, ever abandon you. Do you know that kind of love this Christmas season? As we begin Advent, do you know that foundation of love? Some of you in this room, you have received the love of God. You've been adopted into his family. You said, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of your family. I need that. I know I can't clean myself up. I need you. And you came to him and he welcomed you in as a loving father would welcome in his child. Some of you have not made that decision. You've kept God at arm's length. You've rejected God at every turn. And maybe your life right now is a train wreck. And here he is reaching out to you, giving you one more chance, saying, I accept you. Will you please be a part of my family? How do I do that? I say, yes, I want that. I need to be adopted by you. Please, God, forgive me. I'm sorry for how I've lived apart from you. I want to be a part of your family. And when you are willing to do that and say yes to Jesus, you are saved. You believe in, you call upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved. Do you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus said in the gospel of Luke, he said, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. When you make that decision to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of your family. The angels in heaven rejoice. A party is thrown because of you. Maybe some of you, you're ready to make that decision. And say, Jesus, yes, I need you. I want to be a part of your family. I want you to come into my life. Help me, Lord. I am sorry for what I have done. And others of you are, yes, I'm there. That's where I am. I just needed to be reminded of this love that he has for me. Maybe others of you, you at one point accepted him, but you've walked away. Maybe it's time that you say, I'm ready to come home. Wherever you're at today, Let's pray as we close this service. Father, I pray for those among us today that have, are ready to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I know that there are some, Lord, that have kept you at arm's length. They keep rejecting you at every turn. And they're ready to say, Jesus, I want to be a part of your family. I want to be adopted by you. And so, Lord, I, I'm sorry for what I have done. I'm sorry for being away from you, for rejecting you. Please, would you accept me? And I know that your answer is yes, my child. I will accept you. No matter where you're at, what you've done, I will take you home. Lord, there are others that made that decision at one point, but they have walked away. And maybe today is the day where they say, I'm ready to come back. I've run away to Southern California. I've been in that scene I know, Lord, you've not abandoned me, but I have walked away from you. I'm ready to come back to you and say I'm sorry. Still others, Lord, are just rejoicing and reminded of this incredible love that you have for us. 
You have accepted us, adopted us. You affirm us. You admonish us. And sometimes that can be painful, Lord. But we know in the end, you will never abandon us. Fathers, we leave this place. Help us to be reminded of this great love during this Advent season that you have for us. Help us not to get caught up in the busyness of the Christmas season, in the, the hustle and bustle of life. Help us just to stop and remember, the Father in heaven loves me. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you back here next week for our next Advent message.